everybody. Welcome to Beats, Rye, and Types with AQ and MRB. Today we're joined with a special guest, Jed Schmidt. And you were just listening to an awesome track from actually a long time ago, this group 5Ds out of Cincinnati uh, with the producer Fat John. These guys were around for a while and we were talking about hip-hop last week and talking about instrumental hip-hop and Mad Lib and it reminded me of these awesome producers that were doing really interesting instrumental hip-hop in the early 2000s and Fat John was one of those guys out of Cincinnati. So anyway, now that we've uh, gone through um, a bunch of our obsessions already, we were thinking of talking this week about our most recent and current obsessions since like as if we haven't talked about them enough already, but we thought we'd uh, bring a guest on and uh, a very fun one at that. So Jed uh, is an old friend and I think actually, I, I can't, I don't know, the first time we met was actually probably at an NYC JavaScript oh, meetup. Yeah, in the elevator. In an, Yeah, a very long time ago, before, before JavaScript was a household word. We, uh, since then, we've hung out around the world in Berlin and other places and Jed lived in Japan for a long time and is has some really awesome and interesting obsessions and we get to geek out together whenever we meet up over them. Um, so hey Jed, how's it going? Hey, what's up guys? Hey, greetings from Brooklyn, uh, my land. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron and I have managed to escape but Jed is the only one left in Brooklyn. Still trapped. <laughs> We actually invited him on the podcast so that we could uh, steal part of his soul. Um, so, an unnoticeable fraction of your soul, though. So don't worry about it. You'll be fine. So when we thought about when we thought about inviting a guest, Aaron thought of you pretty quickly, and then after that, uh, we settled on this topic idea pretty soon after that. So, Jed, why do you think why do you think that is? Why why did Aaron say? Okay, we should have Jed on, and then right away say, "Oh, we can talk about things that we're obsessed with." Why? Why do you think that is? I I, I don't know. I, I saw Aaron recently. When was that? I guess I saw you uh, in the fall. Yeah, oh, Halloween. Right, right on Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was maybe my high watermark of geeking out on ice. That might that might have been it. So just generally speaking, you're you're in the you're in the circle of human beings who are uh, willing to sacrifice all rational sense in the pursuit of something that other people might not have any idea why the hell you're doing that. It's it's, uh, it's, it's correct. Okay. Yeah, all right. I mean that's not, not a very generous assessment, but I'll, you know I'll take it. It's fine. <laughs> this is a safe place for people like you, <laughs> so you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I I don't know. I guess as of oh geez, um, you know, over I guess over the past year, I've been uh, geeking out on trying to create the perfectly clear ice cube in your freezer. It seems like it falls under that category of like things that people tell you that you can't do at home without like the right professional equipment and you know a twenty thousand dollar ice maker and or an on staff ice carver or something like yeah, that. Is, yeah, is exactly. that accurate? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where, well, first of all, the utility of such a quest is obviously uh, not entirely clear. Um, oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't even intentional. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> <laughs> Did not see that coming. Uh, yeah. 
Actually, yeah, I've learned a lot about physics, <laughs> or at least, um, you know, how water freezes uh, over the past year. You know, there's something to be said about, you know, with clear ice, it melts slower. Uh, I've actually tested that at home, and it's like maybe 10% slower. It's not a lot. So did you experience this in the wild once? Like, I did. Were you ever, where, I did. Where was that? Tell us a little bit about that. It was in a bar in Tokyo. There's a bar called Bar High Five, uh, run by a guy who is actually, now I realize, now I did not realize then, like, super famous in, like, pure ice circles and uh yeah there's like videos on the internet of him he he's like a cocktail guy he judges like international cocktail competitions uh his his name is uh Hidetsugu Ueno uh and so he's been running this bar for a while and he's you know his aesthetic is just incredible uh he's got you know the pompadour haircut he's got the suspenders a crazy tie he speaks excellent English uh for a Tokyo bartender which is really nice because it's very accessible and you know you can bring friends coming from overseas uh and he makes just a mean awesome cocktail my favorite part about the whole thing was just watching him carve a giant block of ice with like this assorted menagerie of knives uh, and like rubber mallets. And I was like, what is this? Because the thing is that you actually see pure ice is, is a thing in Japan. You can buy it retail, you know, you can buy spheres, you can buy cubes. You can go to the supermarket and buy like just really nice spheres, even the convenience store, like the local 7-Eleven has like nice spheres of ice. Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really know what it was, and I had some friends in Japan who were geeking out on on ice on uh, Facebook, and they were like boiling it, and like you know everything always had air in it. And so when I got back, I was like, I'm gonna try this, and I did, you know, the typical thing. Well, it's like well, the first thing I want is I want a sphere, so I'll get these, you know, silicone holders, and you know, just realize that like it's just it's the same ugly, awful ice, except it's spherical now. So that the you know, and it's the progression. I think everyone probably goes through the, like the you know the the circles of hell until you know you basically reach a point where it's like okay now i'm going to start putting running an electric cable into my freezer <laughs> to get clear ice and that's when you're like maybe maybe i should take a step back i know personally that if you tried to serve me a sphere of ice with air in it i'd probably just throw it against your wall <laughs> so the, like like a, a spheric, perfectly spherical hole in the wall yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> It's funny because like I feel like the peak of that obsession was like in the coldest months where it made the least sense in terms of in terms of enjoyment. I didn't time it very well. So wait, so I don't even we don't even know. Did you did, did you, you reach the apex? Did yeah. you achieve it? I guess we're kind of totally. jumping ahead. You can here. totally you can totally achieve achieve clear ice and you can actually do it for relatively cheap. The problem is um, taking the time cost out of it. So like you can get really clear ice, but it takes forever to break down. You know, if you're going to be spending, you know, half an hour breaking down, you know, 12 really nice ice cubes, you have to, you know, kind of Ask yourself if the cost performance is there. But uh, you know, there's actually, and since that started, there have been new devices that have been kickstarted and, and released. Uh, one most recently from a small company in Vermont called Wintersmiths. Uh, and they built a thing called the ice chest that makes like four clear either spheres or cubes at once in the freezer. And it's like all silicone and, and styrofoam and it's like super, super easy. So, you know, the marginal utility of, of, of doing it yourself in like a, a homemade like igloo cooler and like, you know, boxes you get from the container store kind of thing, uh, the utility that kind of goes down. The net net of the whole thing is if you want clear ice and you want to do it in your own freezer, I mean, it's really, it's easier to get clear ice if you like have a dedicated unit that, you know, can, you can actually put right at 32 degrees. But if you want to make it in the freezer with your leftovers and stuff like that, you're going to need to freeze directionally. So you're going to basically have to freeze the air out of the ice. Basically in your freezer usually means freezing from top to bottom. What that means is that you, unless you time it exactly right, which is really, really hard, um, you're going to end up with most of the ice 
being cloudy and you have to separate that from the clear ice and it's that process that takes it forever. Um, yeah, and so, you know, I tried a bunch of that and so like my final idea, were, so, you know, I was like, well, why don't we do it the way the professional machines do and freeze from the bottom, but then like I didn't, and I'm learning all this about ice, like there's convection as if there's cold, if like there's an actual like heat gradient, like you're going to get convection and then what that convection is going to do is carry the ice elsewhere and then like it'll start to freeze. So it'll eventually you just freeze from the outside of the container that whatever it's in, inward, which will create air pockets again. So then I'm like, well, what if I, what if I ran a fan like circulating the water and like had a wire from my wall going into my freezer into water and I was like I should this is no I should, <laughs> I should maybe think about this so I never, never quite got there I mean but one of the interesting things about obsessions like that and following it to whatever the natural conclusion is is that maybe you did or didn't reach whatever the you know ultimate goal is but either way you know you walk away with a lot of knowledge whether that's applicable to anything else in your life i mean i don't know but at least you know if if part of our goal as human beings is the pursuit of knowledge you you get a deep sense of some weird corner of the universe to me that that's pretty fascinating i i really like doing that yeah i think for me it's like you also just realize like everything is a trade-off like sure you can create the perfect whatever but like how much longer is it going to take um, so I think it, for me, at least helps find the balance of 80-20 that you discover where it's like, well, this is probably good enough. And so that was helpful there because you never, never, uh, never quite got there. What about you guys? What are your, so, I, I mean, you, you both have so many obsessions. I don't even, what is your, what's your latest? What do you, what do you guys have going on in your various corners of not Brooklyn? You know, we talked about pizza, but pizza is a gateway drug to making bread basically and doing anything with dough. I've been on and off geeking out about that for a long time but one of the interesting things that i was like really i think one of the reasons i've gotten so into it is when i was first starting to really learn how to cook and get really into cooking i was like super scared of dough like just the idea of making dough type things and because i just had never done it before with my, my my parents baked a little bit but i didn't do that as a kid and my wife cat is like an, a very accomplished baker and just seemed to have like a natural touch with it the first couple times not only just making pizza but trying to make pasta everything would gum up or like just fall apart and i was table flipping and throwing things at the wall and just getting so frustrated because it is such like a simple thing and you think that it's scientific you know everything you read about it is all in these ratios and it's like oh well the gluten this and the water that it is there's a lot of science in it but there's a very specific element of it that's all about feel and knowledge and the history and of your experience with dough and knowing the what feels wet what feels sticky what feels right and that's that only way to gain that is through doing it over and over and over and over and over again that has become my pursuit right now taking notes making a making a loaf of bread specifically sourdough bread and um with a naturally naturally leavened sourdough starter which is an, another obsession and interesting thing the whole fermentation thing measuring with a scale obviously which we've talked about before but doing that whole thing and just taking notes trying to get to the end seeing how it comes out and if it doesn't work out instead of table flipping, really trying to analyze what didn't work out and then start from scratch again and just go back and forth. Change one thing at a time, do it over, do it over. 
And what what's happened in the past like couple months is after doing this with pasta and with pizza and with bread is just that whatever even if I don't even if I stop making bread today and like don't do it for a couple of years that knowledge of like what a what wet dough feels like what dry dough feels like and what it's supposed to feel like like uh, that's like a lifetime I'll have that for the rest of my life and it's like a really I don't know I'm I'm super proud of attaining that but also just I don't think I ever would have done it if my wife hadn't just yelled at me and been like you can't freak out every time you drop a pizza on the floor i'm just like dough-shaped holes in your wall yeah uh, marinara sauce like all over the inside of every oven i've ever owned you know how is it because the thing is you you can't take notes about dough i mean because it's like literally just a visceral you literally have to feel it it's kind of like wine you know in a way where it's like you're you're kind of describing things in very abstract relative terms that aren't really like oh this smells fruity like what does that actually mean you have to know what that that means before you even describe it that way but you have those kind of adjectives to describe after a couple times just like coffee or any other thing you can tell when something is good and when something is bad and you, you know r- that that last 20% is really the hard part like 80 the first 80% is challenging getting to like a pretty good thing but getting to something that's really great just like you were saying with the ice too like that's that's the pursuit and that's what a lot of people give up on but maybe that is what obsession is it's just like not giving up on that last 20% of like really pushing to whatever that ultimate goal is so so has moving out of brooklyn and moving uh upstate has that helped your is it is one of the reasons you're 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 tackling dough now is is it anything to do with the fact that you're maybe in a more controllable and like static environment because like for example for me one of the things that's really hard is that like you know when i'm freezing ice like how many times did you open the freezer you know you're actually going to get layers you're actually going to see like air layers uh if the if the temperature of the of a freezer fluctuates because it's such a noisy environment anyway and you know when you try to freeze outside like you know it'll thaw and then freeze and thaw and freeze which is bad has it been easier to do the bread stuff uh when you actually control the domain that you're doing it in don't have a lot of noise it's still like a house like i still don't have like and unfortunately because we live in a very old house it, it was challenging to get the sourdough started and to get this whole process started because some rooms are super cold and some rooms in our house are super warm and temperature makes like a really big impact on the efficiency of yeast and and the sourdough bacteria. It actually was really hard to get it started, but once I kind of figured that out, uh, it was good. But actually, the big thing is just working from home, to be honest. Like, that has changed everything. Like, a lot of these breads, like, take all day. They don't actually, it's not any active work all day. Five minutes every half an hour for six hours is kind of how this goes. So, when I was in Brooklyn or when I was living in California, that was a lot harder. I, it was like only a weekend thing, but now I can kind of do it during the week. And that's a privilege that I'm very aware of and, and happy to have. It's like a natural Pomodoro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is actually, it's actually every 30 minutes. Like I'm like, Oh, I have to get up and fold my dough. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty funny, but it's nice to have those breaks. It's really interesting too, when you get into these, things that are really hard to do, like at home, you uh, really learn the differences between commercial production and home production for things. When I was really into home brewing beer, that was one of the big, that was one of the big challenges, right? Because you look at these recipes that, you know, you would be like, okay, I really like this commercial beer. I want to make a beer that's like that at home. And if you can track down the recipe, the recipe that they have is so, it's like very tuned for their equipment. And for the fact that like, you know, they store the beer in a, tank that is you know 
12 stories tall and that atmospheric like pressure in that tank like does stuff to the liquid like you you can't do things the same way i'm really into the hobbyist versions of uh what people do on these big scales so like and if you were at a com commercial bakery if you get like a pallet of flour in uh you might go through a pallet of flour every you know month or something like that you have to like do all these tests and experience the moisture level in that flour in order to be able to like make the same loaf. Working with agricultural products or natural products in some way, there's always that uh, kind of translation that happens in order to have that end product that satisfies what you're looking for. So MRB, what, what's, your, what's your current or recent obsessions? I've been uh, learning how to make ceramics. So I've been taking a pottery, a wheel pottery class for the last three months or so. That was something that I've always been into. I've been into, I've been into ceramics like casually for the past, I don't know, five or 10 years. It's just been something that over time I kind of have appreciated more and more. I was interested in the intersection between, you know, serving vessels and food and and restaurateurs and chefs that are into that and i know uh jed probably has some experience with that in japan that's like a really big thing right like there are meals that are meant to be served in certain vessels and tea ceremonies are very very uh tied to the vessels that they're served in it was something that i kept talking about uh and then when we moved out of the city and i had a little bit more time it was something that i was interested in pursuing and so my wife bought me a like a 10-week class pack to go like at, learn at a at a ceramic studio that's um, pretty close to our house so that's been a really fun and humbling and interesting experience um, I like being like an absolute beginner in something so that that that's cool like it it inspires me when I'm terrible at something to get better at it over time and it was really it was really fun to like just get completely out of my world like no one there knows, you know, how computers work or anything like that. And uh, so to sit down with this like natural thing and be around like, you know, the people are a really big part of it. The people are just really interesting. You know, the the subset of human beings that like work all week to like be able to spend three or four hours at a time, like in a pottery studio working on their own stuff like these are I find those kinds of people to be really interesting. That's been really fun and I'm actually getting better at it, which is cool and like learning all the minutia of it. And uh, it's funny because an old friend of Aaron's is, a, a, you know, a very talented potter who is, you know, finishing up his MFA right now, I think. And he's learning how to program computers. So we have this kind of, we have this like crisscross thing going on. You guys, so that... you guys should start a semiconductor company. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly. Shout out to my, my brother from another mother, Avi, who Mike is referring to. I saw, I saw Avi's work at your place, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I am, I am the OG Avi Ehrenfeld collector because I've um, received many a gift from him over over many years since he was a very just starting out in he went to Alfred in New York for undergrad and so he for when he first started doing pottery I I it, I think it actually started out as I was the storage center for a lot of the pots that he he couldn't fit in his uh, dorm or apartment. But over time, it, it's become uh, a, like an actual collection. And as he's gotten better and better, it's it's been awesome to watch the evolution of someone 
uh, you know, really achieve some kind of level of professionalism and not just professionalism, but like expertise in something. And like, you can like, at some point I'll have to host like a, you know, a retrospective on his work. Cause there I have, I have every era of Javier and film pottery. Yeah, that definitely uh, seeing his stuff at your house definitely was one of the first times that I was like, oh, this is like a I didn't I didn't really like he was probably one of the first people I met that had ever like done that in any in any extensive way. That definitely helped make me feel like it was an, an accessible thing. It's a very interesting world. It's very challenging. There's so many there's so many different steps to it. And like uh, my my big joke in pottery class is that pottery is cool because there's just so many ways that you can fuck it up um (laughs) you know it's like you you have the clay uh you have to form it and then you know dry it and then trim it and then put it in the kiln once and then take it out and then you know glaze it and then bake it in the kiln again that's usually the way that people do it each of those steps is so fraught right and like the mistakes that you make in the beginning of the process are just magnified throughout the rest right so if you don't put your piece of clay on the wheel properly first and center it like properly from the very beginning then every step beyond that is just more and more challenging if you're trying to make something that's like round and centered and you really don't get to see how badly you did it until you get <laughs> to those next stages so there is a kind of like shipping it to production component of pottery. Uh, and so there are definitely a lot of parallels there. Or, or maybe that's just my projection of it. Yeah, that's been the thing that I've been, that's the thing that I've been working on. I just started getting my first few like finished pieces out of the kiln in the last couple of weeks. And that's been a really, that's been a really cool experience. Also to have something physical. I mean, the problem with pizza and ice is that eventually they're both gone. Whereas pottery's forever at least. Yeah, it's actually cool. You know, like, you know, what they say is like, you you should make things and then use them. And which is different than making something and eating it or like, you know, it's more akin to a computer program, I guess, because it's like a thing that you interact with over time. But the way that you learn the shapes that you like or learn the glazes is just like doing it over and over and over again and interacting with that thing and like picking it up and looking at it and, you know, having stuff that you can give to people that makes them happy and having things that you can like make and keep around your house are both are both cool that that's a very new kind of thing for me too so do you do you guys uh how how do you guys feel about uh letting your obsessions overlap is that a thing for y'all um like for example uh a lot of times at least for me like an obsession will come from me actually where i'm working on something like oh that stinks i really should do it better this way and then i do that and it's like i just keep going down and down and down into the into the rabbit hole do you guys like for example is was a ceramic thing any connection to you know uh the baking or or even like food stuff you were doing earlier or was it just a totally like you just wanted to like start from scratch kind of thing i'm so to answer your question i'm i'm very into that like i'm i'm very very interested in how different worlds collide like that, like multidisciplinary things and interdisciplinary thinking is very important to me. So I love the idea that, for example, you pursued making ice and then like learned about physics, right? Like that's really interesting because when you, when you're in pursuit of one goal, there is something very valuable about those ancillary uh, concepts that you become familiar with and learn. You just have a very 
unique perspective on it, right? It's like there's a lot of interesting things where if you take computer science and math, right, like there's a lot of overlap between those two things and like how computer science thinkers have influenced mathematicians and vice versa is really interesting because they weren't really trying to do that, right? Some of the some of the best insights that we have are mathematicians looking at computer science work and saying like, oh, that reminds me of this other thing, right? And like that random idea like this reminds me of that like turns into a whole discipline of of computer science you know i like doing ceramics because it's so different than what i do every day but i also can't help but take a lot of the same approaches when i'm doing those kinds of different things is that is that kind of what you're getting at yeah totally yeah it's good to hear that for me like there was this whole dive almost into food and um, DIY type stuff at home started because my brother was like, hey, we both love pickles. You should try making pickles at home. Like that was how it all started was just this one kind of dare for me to make pickles. And that turned in that one thing 10 or 12 years ago turned into, oh, if I'm going to make pickles, then oh, I should figure out how to make pastrami because I want, I, you know, I want to make a pastrami sandwich. Oh, if I'm going to make pastrami, I want to make figure out how to make an entire pastrami sandwich from scratch, from the bread to the mustard. So, okay, I'm going to make mustard. I got to figure out how to smoke pastrami. I got to figure out how to make rye bread. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to do that then. And it just kept going into this like very, very deep dive into every, every single thing. Like, the pastrami sandwich yak shave has been going on for 12 years or whatever now, and that's definitely what like... step is left in your pastrami. I mean, you're starting to make like the, the napkins and stuff. I mean, like, <laughs> where do you stop? No, I mean, I, I've, I've done it. It's more just like refining it. out. And actually, this coming weekend, I'm, I've made corned beef and I'm going to smoke some pastrami, and I'm finally going to. I've never done sourdough, like Jewish deli rye bread. So that's like the. I've done rye bread, but never like the classic you know soft caraway rye that the jewish rye that that people always associated with it so that's that's the goal so next week but yeah there's this also this interesting thing with the pottery that i was thinking about one of the things that uh avi actually always and i talk about which always had a parallel to programming is in in the pottery world there's like this very clear distinction between kind of art and craft and everyone has like kind of forces people to fall on one side of that and so it's like are you a potter like do you make pots and like are you or are you a ceramic artist and those are like two different things and actually you're actually working in the same medium and doing the same things but your goals are different and i think that that has an interesting parallel to programming where like people talk about themselves as hackers or programmers versus i'm a professional you know programmer or experienced programmer and i think it's interesting for you, Jed, too, because you actually started out as a as a hacker, right? You weren't doing professional programming for a pretty long time. Yeah, um, I, I learned how to code, I guess, mm, officially, I guess, in 2007, but didn't take my first, uh, like, programming-related job until 2012. Um, but that was less of a... I, the thing is, I was always afraid that, you know, like, if you like music, the worst thing you can do is go into the music industry. That was basically my thought towards coding, is that I thought that once... Uh, I started doing it for a living that I would enjoy it less. And I was right. <laughs> but, <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> but I, 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 was, I, I overstated it. So like there's still the, the problems that you find interesting just be, are different when you're doing it for a living, I think. 
Uh, and so it becomes less about like, the, if you look at the early stuff I did and the stuff that I actually presented at the meetup that I met Aaron at, and this is also the same. So he was presenting Sammy, which is like the, that was like the flagship single page app, like the, that started the whole thing. And then also at that meetup, uh, Jeremy Ashkenaz presenting CoffeeScript in Ruby to tell you how old that was. Uh, it was back then. If you look at the stuff I wrote then, it was just like so out there and just not helpful, but you know, pretty interesting. It was, you know, it, interesting. It, yeah, it, yeah. It, it was an exploitation of of you know just a quirk of javascript and so that was that was really interesting but yeah now starting to work and i'm like well that's that's nice but then my eyes like whenever i hear about people talking about like some weird new functional paradigm in javascript my eyes just glaze over i just can't i'm like well that's Sounds really interesting, but like I get, you know, get back to work. I can't. I can't <laughs> yeah. get excited about it. Do you know what I mean? Whereas like now, like the code that I'm working on now that I'm actually finding pretty interesting is uh, I'm trying to turn Google spreadsheets into a database. Because that's something <laughs> that's something that you know I work for Uniqlo, and that's something that Uniqlo can use. Because like I don't want to create a CRUD app that I have to maintain, and I don't want to you know use some awful CMS that I don't want to use. Um, I just want them to have an interface that they understand with you know authentication and authorization baked in, where they can put data in and I can get it out in the way that I want it and they can put it in the way they want it. So like that's been an interesting problem. Um, and that's definitely, I wouldn't have found that interesting back when I wasn't doing it for a living. Uh, Swan Odette, David Nolan t- did g- gave a really good presentation about this. I think at JSConf a couple years ago, which was pretty inspiring. One of the things that, that gets people interested in programming in the first place and people often lose is this idea of play and the idea that, you know, we do things not for a specific goal, but just to, just for that pure creation and pure just experimentation side of it. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I don't, I, I certainly can't say that I've figured out how to retain that aspect of play in my, in a professional programming career, but it's definitely something that is sort of at odds with how most people do this work professionally. Yeah. He's an interesting case because like a lot of the stuff that I would consider was his play is like turning into like real live, like useful stuff. Do you know sure. I mean? so that, that's, that's, that's gotta be pretty satisfying when, you know, stuff that like people think is just like weird functional geekery actually turns into like, well, this is actually how we're going to build apps now. So you better know <laughs> yeah. it kind of thing. I, I will have to ask him at some point, but I wonder if, if that's a boon or a burden, because totally. sometimes, yeah. you know, people were relying on the things that you thought were just kind of not a joke, but like something that you were just doing for fun and turn into something that you have to maintain and and add features for enterprise clients for. And that becomes <laughs> wow. like a, yeah. a very different mode of work for sure. In the end, uh, like Jed said, it, it doesn't have, you know, doing something professionally doesn't have to uh, like limit your enjoyment of it, but it definitely changes the quality of like how you interact with it. So that may not be, may or may not be something that you're comfortable with. I mean, and I, I'm reminded of like the potter versus ceramic artist thing is, has parallels to programmers and computer science researchers and where they all have to kind of use the same like stuff. They have similar substance. Yeah. Their medium, right? Like their medium is the same or should be the same or we want it to be the same or whatever it is. But there, there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of interesting uh, overlaps there for sure. Another thing that I find to be a really interesting parallel between pottery and programming is like having an off day. There's this like one of the first things that I was taught when I sat down at the wheel for the first time was that some days you're going to sit down at the wheel and you just won't be able to throw like anything straight. 
nothing will come out like you want. It's going to be super frustrating and you're going to like walk away with absolutely nothing to show, but that it's like a learning experience anyway. And I was like, yeah, that sounds weird. And then I remember the first day it happened to me. I don't remember exactly what it was. I maybe my balance was off for some reason. I just wasn't feeling right. I just couldn't. It was right. Like I, I couldn't do it. And like the week before I had like thrown a bunch of stuff that worked. And then this day I sat down and just like nothing, nothing was coming together. Uh, I don't spend all my, my days like writing code as much anymore these days, but I definitely remember uh, when I was more in the trenches that there were just some days where like, man, none of this shit is making any sense to me today. I need to take like a hundred walks around the block or drink more coffee and, and less coffee at the same time. And so I found that to be, uh, I find that found that to be an interesting, uh, crossover too. I'm sure, I'm sure most disciplines ha have similar things. Baking definitely has overlaps. I mean, like I was saying, failure and this idea of like, screw, like there's so many variables in all of these different arts and disciplines that, you know, one little thing, butterfly flapping its wings in Oklahoma or whatever is going <laughs> to screw up your entire day. The trick, I think, in being a professional is like learning how to work around those, right? And, and actually enjoy, enjoy working around it. Yeah. 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 I mean, one of the things that's like, for example... Uh, I, I, the stuff that I tend to geek out deep on are stuff that I think are there's some sort of inherent truth or purity to like because the thing is I'm I'm not very good at complexity so uh, I like things that are simple so like ice it's sort of hard to get more simple than that uh, barbershop music I really like barbershop music uh, and that's a that's a style that's you know uniquely American and and you know it has it has kind of like a platonic ideal of like a sound that you're trying to achieve or you know there's actually a lot of stuff going on in barbershop that's actually pretty interesting in terms of harmonics that you can achieve you know when you have these voices singing in such tight harmony uh, and then buzzing so much without vibrato which is really cool but then like the, and this is the thing that I, i'm still kind of struggling with is the, you know the deeper you dive the more you realize that this platonic ideal that you've been chasing does not exist uh, you know what I mean? So like, uh, ice is the same for me was the same thing. Well, it's actually this, the, there's all these variables that didn't even consider they're part of it. Tuning for barbershop is the same. Like detuning is not just numbers. It's not just, well, an octave is one to two and you know, a fifth is two to three. And like, there's actually like tunings that are actually like, uh, the purity goes away. And so like, I, I guess at some point you have to realize, well, actually like what you're actually trying to find is where those things are because you're obviously anything you do the deeper you get the more inscrutable like atoms like the deeper you get into something the more you realize that like what you thought was true is not but i guess part of the enjoyment comes from just finding out what is different from your expectations as opposed to like you know can you actually find something that is is pure and true because the more i geek out on stuff the more i realize that like that the, the goalposts move being fluent in japanese is another thing like the more fluent you get the more you realize that you're not fluent at all yeah. Um, because you have the language skills to know the unknowns completely. You realize that everything is the process of, of finding out. You're never actually going to reach the destination, which is, I guess, something that you need to learn to embrace. There's, there's, something, there's, there's something beautiful about that because it's kind of like that that aspect is sort of humanity, right? That That aspect of things that aren't perfect is this idea that you know, you can apply science to all these different fields and try to get as deep as you possibly can. But in the end of the day you're a person doing something and you're never gonna achieve like you're 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 inherently imperfect right and all of us are and that's like uh an interesting you know just thing to have to learn to live with <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, you're seeing the way the you're kind of seeing the way our minds are mapped out when you like trace how we think through all of these very deep, intense uh, activities. Yeah, there's like a subculture thing that happens, right? Where like the the deeper you get, the more you realize that there are like people, you know, in those tendrils below you that are like way deeper into whatever, you know, like pottery is really similar. Like some people really are into, uh, you know, the chemistry of glazing, you know, walking into a studio and seeing like, oh, there's an electric kiln and then there's a gas kiln. You might see another pot and you're like, wow, how did you do that? And they're like, oh, that was fired in a wood kiln. This guy in Virginia only fires twice a year and it takes two full weeks to do the firing, you know? And I was like, oh, that's a thing. And like, yeah, like those pots aren't even glazed. The, the wood ash and salt glazes them, right? So like the way a lot of what you see when you see like really interesting uh, pottery is like there wasn't a glaze applied to that. That's like the clay body and the wood, which is chosen specifically for the chemistry, for the chemical makeup of the ash that it produces. And then they like throw a handful of salt in there. There's like a salt chamber. And then, I mean, it's just like this whole amazing world where you know you're like man it's so hard just to make the pots how could all of the time that you're like all the stuff you're interested in is like in that last three percent like you're way past the 80 and the 90 and the 95th percent right i i I agree with aaron i think that that's absolutely like doesn't get any more human than that that's really like what we are that's what we were i don't know for me personally of all of the you know the modern world and having being a dad and having a job and all this shit like it's really really hard all of the time but like this is what we have that unifies us and makes getting out of bed every day like a, you know a potentially really exciting thing like there's just it just shows there's an infinite amount of things to learn like I, it, it never it never exhausts me to know like how much more is out there it just in you know i try to let it inspire me because uh, otherwise it's crushing right like you yeah. <laughs> you spend all your time learning fluent like learning how to speak and understand japanese and then they're like yeah but you know there's still this island that i could drop you on and they, you'd have no idea what they're saying and they'd have no idea what you're saying like and by the way is japan Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You you realize that like for example if if you're studying a language to like be proficient and be able to communicate with people it's just one of these things where you realize that like people don't care about how many words you know or like the grammar patterns you can construct. They they care about like can you sound natural. So like honestly like 50% of speaking Japanese for me was just bluffing it and just like pretending to be confident when I wasn't. And like that actually will make you sound more fluent um, than speaking perfect Japanese but maybe a little bit slowly. And so I feel like that's that's one of the things that's always been frustrating is like the stuff that like should be the thing you should focus on to like really perfect this thing at the end of the day because you know I mean for example if you're if you're making food and like well this food need to be needs to be served in this environment and if it's not this environment then like it's different or there's only so far you can control the experience right so like you can be like well this thing should be served in this you know pot this pot should really only be used for this thing and then you see someone else using it to put flowers in you're like no that's not what it's for and like there's 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 a point where you have to kind of just like let go and realize like 
well, I, maybe this is the difference between a craft and an art, but like, uh, I'm definitely more of a craft person than an art person. Um, I like the process of like a fixed goal more than I like, you know, just free, free form thinking. And so, yeah, it's just like, you just have to realize like, well, what is the surface area that they want? And I feel like discovering that it definitely helps inform like what I should geek out on because otherwise it's just like, you're like, look at this thing I built. And they're like, I don't, I don't, that doesn't resonate with me. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was, that was really awesome conversation. And thanks so much, Jed, for taking the morning and coming on and talking to us. That was really fun. Thank you guys. I hope to hear some barbershop music on your, uh, on your intro (laughs) soon. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks Jed again for taking your time out. I think you set a high benchmark for future guests. So, uh, they, they should watch out. Thank you guys for having me. It's been great catching up with y'all. Thank you.